Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. I'm wrecking that ding dong. Okay. And can I just hear you talk, Nathan, real quick to make sure we didn't lose you? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, brilliant. All right. <clears throat> hey, everybody. I'm Nico at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm Arturo Mr. Toy Box on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Nathan Dazzler AOA on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. We hope you survive this experience, just like Doug survived fighting with Ileana. Okay, well, you know, this was like the issue for Doug. This really was the issue that I think we've all been waiting for for Doug since Hoxpox began, right? Now, Nathan, I've been talking to you uh, of our of our newest X crew probably the longest, and I know that Doug was early on one of the characters. You were like, "Yes, I love that you guys talk about Doug." <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. Doug is just like this little precious baby that I love that everybody's trying to protect. Like even in this issue, like you've got like not only Warlock, you've got Krakoa, they're all like jumping to his defense. So I'm like, Yes, my little baby. Yeah, I mean he is just like he is the French poodle of the X Men. He's just dainty and beautiful and can do tricks and you want to protect him. Arturo, like I think you're actually the right age for Cypher, and I use that term right age kind of loosely. It's something we discussed on our panel for New York Comic Con. Right age meaning like you were the actual target audience. It was, you know, he was a young man who felt different in the mid to late 80s how do you feel seeing cypher come so full do uh you know it's funny because I, I think i'd mentioned this previously uh like the first comic that i read that cypher was in it was the one when he died in uh in genosha yeah yeah yeah. Uh, what is that? That's New Mutants 59 to 61. Yeah, with yeah. Wolfsbane holding on to him. And so that's that's kind of always been part of his story arc for me, you know, that uh, he's, he's the most vulnerable of X-Men. Seeing him become more useful in different ways with his mutant power, I think, has been kind of a cool thing ever since back during uh, Necrotia. And yeah, I mean, Cypher's like one of the most important people on all of Krakoa. This issue really drives that home in a really big way. I just... I gotta say, just a timeout real quick. Rod Rice, absolutely incredible artwork. Like, like I could frame pages out of this out of this comic and and hang them on my wall gladly. Colors and just the artwork is so good. The best warlock artist we've seen since Bill Sankovich. And you know, it's really interesting to bring up the creative team because I feel in a lot of ways, as much as I'm truly enjoying this issue and this run of New Mutants as a whole, I feel like Ed Brisson's run is ending so unceremoniously and he's taking it in great stride. Jonah, this is your first major writer to leave a major X book 
since you began reading. How do you feel about knowing that New Mutants is wrapping up this first 14 issues and then handing the baton over to Vita? I am super excited to see what Vita has to say about all these characters. And it's, I am really happy with what we got with New Mutants. I think I'm one of the only people. I'd say like the, our most of our podcast has been 50-50 on some people not thinking it's not giving enough while other people are really enjoying it. I'm on the side of really enjoying it, but I wish I do, there was just more that I'm wishing from. I think this issue is the start of giving me exactly what I want besides giving me Ileana being the complete badass and protector and you know everything and trying to basically redeem her after the past years and years of her being quote unquote bad. It feels really refreshing to see kind of it go back to form of what the original New Mutants was about, which was showing how these kids were dealing with being mutants and being told, all right, you can come study at this school and learn how to use your powers, but you're never going to use them in the real world. And now they have to use them in the real world. And it's sort of that dexterity that I feel people have always said Cypher has covered. Cypher can do the real world shit. That's not the confusion or the problem. The issue is imagining Cypher in battle. And that's really the heart of what this issue by Ed Brisson and Rod Rice is talking about. This issue, New Mutants number 13, covers Doug as he goes through experiencing some amount of psychological trauma at the realization that he's about to be one of the swordsmen. And furthermore, that his, you know, soulmate really is the other half of that is his sword. Now, I need to slightly jump off track here. A lot of people keep saying to Doug that he's about to be useless and that he's going to get his ass trounced in battle. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Um, so I've long held that Doug should actually be like a master sorcerer. Magic is just a language. He should be able to crack it. Reality is just a language. He should be able to crack it. And I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to be flippant about it, but there is something to be said about the fact that we say that words can cut and that words hurt. And it brings me to a specific story. Now, this is kind of a jump, so everybody go with me, right? There was a song by Tori Amos called The Battle of Trees. And The Battle of Trees actually refers to the fact that there is this ancient Welsh Celtic story about a great battle. It's this huge idea that words are weaponry. In many ways, the battle is the expression of language. Now, I thought to myself, okay, I'm seeing things where they're not. I'm seeing references to obscure Tori Amos records in, uh, you know, this big picture painted by John Hickman. And I must be losing my mind. And that's when I decided to check the Tori Amos comic book. You see, a number of years ago, because Tori Amos has long been associated with industry legend Neil Gaiman, in fact, Delirium from Sandman is in many ways based on Tori. Now, Neil met Tori after he created Delirium, but he has openly admitted to kind of retrofitting Delirium to be Tori, or maybe Tori became Delirium. No one's really sure. But because Tori has long had such an extensive experience in the world of comic books, they released a Tori Amos comic book short story and anthology where huge names were brought in to write stories based on Tori's songs. We saw the likes of Kelly Sue DeConnick and Leah Moore, Jock. We saw Mike Drindenberg, like huge names. And one of those fucking names so happens to be, how to get the book, it's gigantic, John Hickman. John Hickman writes a story called A Thousand Oceans based on the song of the same name from Tori Amos's first double disc release to Venus and back. And it tells the story of two worlds separated by time and space and the lost loves that are eternally locked out of each other's lives. It tells the story of mighty dragons and of a silversmith who forges a great sword. It tells the story of what the great queen would do to sail her people back together and bridge their two worlds that just barely touch and want to be one again. This is the fucking story of Krakoa. And this came out in 2005's or so comic book tattoo. And now comic book tattoo went on to win Eisner 
listeners. So it's not like this is an unsignificant volume. And I can't help but think with this idea that Tori Amos is so related to comics, is so related on this metafictional level to John Hickman through the fact that John Hickman already did interpret one of Tori's songs. You know, well, Cypher definitely is in an issue of New Mutants, and this issue of New Mutants was certainly written by Ed Brisson. We know that the head of X is John Hickman, and I really wonder if when he gets into the arena, somehow Cypher is going to know the things to say to transform Warlock into whatever he needs. So as much as I loved everybody being worried about Cypher, I'm still worried about the rest of the universe and Cypher's wake. And I really think everybody being like, Cypher, buddy, you're going to die. I really think that's kind of bullshit. Like a hundred ways over. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, On second read of this, I I feel less worried for Doug than than I had been. I kind of, I I feel like everybody going into into the event was kind of like, oh man, Doug's doomed. Out of one comes many. Out of many comes one. Like it, it doesn't look good. And I think that's that's all. I think it's going to be a big misdirection. And I'm really, really, really hoping that he he comes out the other end. With your Battle of Trees reference, also, like when I was kind of revisiting the lyrics on that, I could see also part of like Apocalypse's story in it. Not only just Krakoa and Arako, but um, you know, like just like the power of love, the Battle of Trees, we fought side by side. Like that could be Apocalypse and his children and his wife too. Kind of like there's just so many layers to that. Yeah, I mean, in the lyrics, they even say no one had more sharper consonants than you, love, and my vowels were trusted. Like, it speaks to the heart of language as magic. Now, for all I know, John Hickman read one Tori Amos lyric one time, wrote this one story, got his motherfucking Eisner, said thank you, Rance Hosley, and went on his day. But it's also very possible that he has an intimate working knowledge of Tori Amos's songs as stories and the fact that the girls are fictional characters that appear story to story story much like a comic book character the horses of winter are the horses of boys for pele's horses are the horses of fast horse from an album 15 years later these are characters that revisit the fictional works of tori's songs and that is not unlike what hickman is up to building this giant bigger picture metaverse and to bring it back to ed brisson for one minute this issue of new mutants feels a lot like a writer being asked to dial in to somebody else's story and i don't want to say it's against his will but i almost feel like Exodus being like, I would have been a better choice. (laughs) And Magic being like, you're a terrible choice. And Warlock being like, how could they do this to you? (laughs) I sort of felt like that was Ed Brisson being like, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I wanted. And I I kind of almost feel like Ed Brisson is bowing out in a sad way with this issue. Did anybody else get like a weird sense of dysphoria in the meta actualizing of this story? Uh, To me, uh, kind of along those lines, it just, it felt like a big, kind of like Hellion too when we were talking about that last week it felt like a a big side quest it didn't have to be part of the main story it gave us a lot more you know character depth to cipher and in magic training of him but it, it wasn't like we already knew doug and warlock were going to be the, the sword bearer so it really didn't add anything new to the main narrative it just kind of fleshed it out like in the past it would have been like you know, like the Ten of Swords Cypher special, you know, just to kind of add to the story. Yeah, it would have been like Ten of Swords Prelude Cypher. <laughs> so, okay, now I guess I did anybody else not get that Exodus scene? Now, Jonah, that was like one of your first really big Exodus moments, right? I'm just gonna, I don't care. I, I'm willing to be wrong, but I do not think Exodus is a match for Warlock, and I don't no. give a shit what anyone says. You cannot convince me unless Fabian Cortez has both his hands up Exodus's ass. And is like <laughs> supercharged 
fuck puppeting him. You cannot convince me that like anyone but Storm is remotely a challenge for Warlock. Jonah, how do you feel being told that Warlock even thinks Exodus is a challenge for him? Well, if Marvel's Contest of Champion has taught me anything, it is that <laughs> Warlock is super great. And ever if you ever get him, oh, please level him up. He's oh, so good. Get it, get him to oh, four, I just get got him, him yesterday. Five. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. He's so good. It's annoying. So, and reading just a little bit into um, Warlock, especially on the page of the sword page of Warlock and understanding who he was and what his whole story is, because in the original New Mutants run, I didn't get to him just yet. I'm like just at the Demon Bear story. So like, I am really like on the cusp, but I don't, I don't see it. I, I don't see how Exodus thinks that that will work out. The scene felt really weird because it feels like the mutants are trying to cheat the prophecy in every which way that they can so that that whether it's personal or you know entire island of Krakoa succeeds it was a really weird scene that Exodus would think that if Doug died he would get to take his place like no that's not Opa Luna Saturnine would never allow that she could never my backup for a 20 year old blonde boy is always (laughs) a religious zealot who loves to pick people up by the neck and shake them stop Darth Vadering about that's not Darth Vadering about (laughs) that's not how you greet people and you're supposed to be a council member i know control your jealousy it was just i don't buy it and especially from what we saw kind of at the latter end of this issue where doug is saying i kind of understand the language of battle there's no real reason that i think doug would kind of ever lose a fight granted it would take him some time because he's i don't know how much physical combat experience doug has had without warlock because i've seen like stuff and like doug and like the warlock suit and all that Mm -hmm. junk but like I think Doug can do a lot more than Doug realizes it. And I think that the writers are understanding that, oh, the interpretation of language can kind of go any which way you want. It's what Nico's been banging pots and pans about for I don't know how many years at this point. (laughs) So it just felt out of place. Arturo, I think you went to go say something. I want to kick it to you. Uh, And I just confirmed. Yeah, Exodus is an Omega level telekinetic. So a bigger threat than, than people realize. And I mean, you know, I I remember 90s comics where Exodus could take out the entire X-Men by himself. So like, I'm with you. I really am. But Warlock is like, Warlock is scary in a way that I just don't think any single mutant could ever be to me. And I feel like part of what actually does express fear so well, and you know, you started off the episode with it, Arturo, so I'd love to know a little bit more about what you think, but the use of Rod Race and his construction of color to indicate fear or uncertainty, anytime Doug is actually in trouble, the page turns red. Anytime Doug is safe, the page turns green because it's Krakoa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the pages are incredible, but just flipping through it, you get a sense for where the tension and serenity are. It's it's incredibly beautiful. And, you know, I know we all have a great affiliate, a great affiliate. Yeah, we all have a great affiliate. We all have a great affinity for Ileana, right? Which I guess that could be like, and I, I can't even say it anymore. It's, it's getting too hard. We all have a great affinity for Ileana. And <laughs> she's really proving herself to be a more complex character than I think a lot of us give her credit for, even in our love for her. I know that sometimes I kind of boil Ileana down to, you know, chilling adventures of Sabrina 20 years ago. But like, I feel like Ileana, seeing her be so sisterly to Doug, but I mean coded male because she's Ileana. So seeing her see, be so aggressively brotherly to Doug, I don't know. She was definitely the Kirk Cameron to Doug's Candace Cameron Bure in Aww. that moment for me. And by that I mean the insane one trying to prove that the crocoduck is real. But... <laughs> 
the thing <laughs> that I think got me the most is I'm ready to see Ileana in new roles. Also, Exodus is also, I don't know. I feel like Exodus is a better match for Ileana than I think Exodus is a good match for Warlock. And I really kind of would have loved to have seen Ileana be like, you go after my brother one more time and you will be eating your own eating. <laughs> I did love how uh, this issue kind of brought back to the heart of what makes New Mutants like as a team so amazing just when just because they have such history and such connections together that they're able to bring out more of that side of each other. Like, honestly, we don't see Doug and Ileana interact that much, but like just the fact that they have this bond and that she's trying so hard to be such a good uh, sibling to Doug is just like just this amazing thing that you don't get to see as much from Ileana. I love the Doug Warlock couple situation that's going on. I love when when I just find it so interesting because sometimes he kind of reads almost like Ace, but he's in this, you know, symbiotic relationship with Warlock, and he has this connection with Krakoa, and all very non-sexual, but it's very intimate, and it's not exactly a physical thing, but yes, it is very physical and very intimate, and, uh, and they're very connected on a deep level. It kind of reminds me of the weird relationship between the symbiote and Eddie Brock, yes. where the symbiote and Eddie are, aren't exactly in a relationship, but like weirdly they are and like the symbiote definitely takes care of eddie in certain ways that may or may not have been tweeted about so <laughs> um oh and we do know who's the top in that relationship <laughs> and you know i because i love that comparison i was going to compare it to the golden girls which Ooh. i guess is the same kind of thing right because the three women are never actually going to move forward as long as they have each other and ma right as long as it's blanche rose and sophia and dorothy the four of them create sort of this cluster that they don't really need to let someone else into. It's why we get so used to certain formats with certain couplings or certain groupings or the way people live together on shows. And we just, we really hold tight to it. And we're not really interested in seeing another take on it at any point, because to our mind, that's the unit. The fact that they're able to reprogram us to accept that Krakoa is part of the Douglock unit is really amazing to me because, you know, I kind of think that in many ways, the Norman Rockwellification of the American vision created this very uh, binary nuclear family. You know, we wound up with the mom, the dad, the 2.5 kids. And I think that that's actually a really powerful thing that represents a certain time in a certain aspect of a certain part of this country's history, right? And I think part of what's happening is we're starting to see a redefinition. We're starting to kind of go back to tribal culture in a lot of ways. Now, I was a really big fan of, as a kid of like, you know, this idea of millennial tribe that, you know, someday we're all going to live in this like utopia where we all remember where we came from and celebrate each other's heritages together. And, you know, I was really lied to by Zion in the Matrix Reloaded. So I really wanted that for my life. And I'm very lucky that I've actually kind of found myself in something pretty similar to that, where it's this really uh, complex polycule and not everything is a romantic or sexual relationship. A lot of them are, we mutually give each other what we need as friends but it's it's something so much deeper than just casual friends it's it's a family and i feel like whether you define a polycule as 
romantically intimate or you include the possibility of ace platonic members of a polycule right i think recognizing that as just as arturo said this is a huge change in the way we view relationships for the x-men and whether it's you know no one's got to be doing no dendrophilia for this to that's tree fucking for this (laughs) to make sense we just we can see love we know love love is love is krakoa is love Krakoa is love. Krakoa is life. See, I I always saw them a little differently, but I can see where you guys are are thinking because I always thought it was coded so heavily back, especially in the original New Mutants run where they used to to merge like Doug and Warlock would merge like completely. So I'm like, that is the ultimate like being inside of each other kind of thing. So um, Vor, <laughs> like seeing them now with uh, Krakoa, it, it's just like, and they've got the wood chairs and it's like kind of like they're sitting on the beach. They're like the, the old couple, the old thruple that's just like, you know, hey, we're cool. We're going to just sit here and enjoy each other for the rest of eternity kind of thing. I'm so glad you brought that up, Arturo, because I really, you know, until you said it that way, I don't think I had quite visualized that complexity. And it kind of reminds me of, and I need you all to go on this amazing journey with me, but okay. I kind of think by Power Rangers in space, they're all just vaguely bi and poly together. And they're, they're I mean, other than the, the the sibling relations, which I accept, like Andros doesn't have sex with astronomer. That's just even in space. That's just good business. So but I feel like, you know, by that point, all the Rangers all kind of just like live in bunks together and it's whatever to stay alive and happy and whatever gets you through the day that isn't drinking on the job. And I feel like that's kind of what we're seeing the X-Men become. Like, look, we all can live forever. We're all on this island. It's like it's it's a really interesting interesting limitless place of storytelling potential it's sort of uh, what i love about the new roswell on the cw everybody buy everybody just buy it's crazy and whether it's bisexual and there's a sexuality to it or it's an understanding of non-sexual but emotionally intimate life partners i really love what this brings to the conversation now to kind of keep moving for a second i obsessively love these sword data pages i know i've been talking a lot with people uh, even on the show you know uh regular contributor uh daddy chango Wan, right he is not a big fan of the data pages but i know that contributor to the show josh lives for them so you know whether it's the warlock page which gives us a beautiful view of that beautiful sword or it's the page about the soul sword which okay uh we've talked a little bit about some of the side canon that they've wanted us to read they're doing a true believers best of soul sword so they really are putting emphasis on the weapon and i'm pretty thrilled about that because if you're going to give the x-men swords and some of them already have them make it count how did you guys feel about getting this insight into warlock and soul sword as the weapons of this great battle uh, with the warlock page like i i thought it brought up a great mystery that they kind of first alluded to in the handbook just the fact that you know at some point in the past everybody thought warlock died and then magically Doug got that sheath on his arm and everybody was like oh okay sure Warlock's dead he's not really on your arm yeah whatever but like I I really kind of want to know what went on during that time that's like just like this big mystery that's like like blaring at me like what happened why are they hiding Warlock and then like kind of like when Warlock comes back everybody's like oh yeah we knew that was you all along yeah I'm dying to see whatever that's ever going to be answered why there was this big secret because just it feels very deliberate it reminds me of the six month gap which Mm. was a transitionary item that 
Chris Claremont used. So while a lot of people aren't aware of this, when they brought in Alan Davis on Uncanny X-Men and X-Men, it was actually to kind of, uh, I don't want to say write the ship, but it was kind of like, we have a lot of stories that need to be brought to a conclusion. We have a lot of things dangling. We have a lot of things we want to get done. We want to move into a new era. Let's do this. And the rumor is that a lot of it was pretty heavily editorially mandated. It saw the return of Warlock uh, at that point, who had been missing for a while. He got his own ongoing series, Warlock. It was pretty fun. It was under the M-Tech banner. Yes. Right? And from there, Chris Claremont actually ghost wrote the last three issues of Alan Davis's run. He wrote the issues that had the high evolutionary, take away all mutancy, and then eventually put it back, right? And that final arc was ghost written by Claremont. And then the first arc that kicks things off acknowledges there was this six month gap between what happened at the end of X-Men 99 and Uncanny 100. And I think, like if you're asking me what I think about it, I feel as though the best way to move forward is to create this sense of, okay, other stuff still happened and we're going to focus on that because I think part of what Hickman's trying to do here is get away from Rose and Canny and Lost Souls. That last couple of years where we saw almost every new mutant get murdered was really tough and we know that Hickman's always had a soft spot for the new mutants. I don't know if everybody realizes, but Sunspot and Cannonball were members of Hickman's Avengers. It was a great arc. I do think one of the things that I love so much is that Magic doesn't say you're going to die. She says it'll be the last thing you ever do. And I don't know why that is so fascinating to me on that last page, but I wonder if she's saying that Doug won't be Doug anymore. Not that he's going to die, but that Doug will be replaced by Technarchy or Doug will become Doug a Lock. different version of Doug. What'd you say? Doug Lock. <laughs> Doug Lock. Yeah. What if Woo-hoo! we see the birth of Doug Lock again? Doug friend. Self friend Doug Lock. <laughs> yeah. I want it. Just, just not true friend. No. Just not, not true friend. Not Magus either. Not Magus Doug. No. And so I do wonder if that's part of what they're saying, that it's not necessarily that he's going to die, but he's going to become something new. I'd welcome that. For me, too, the data page about the Soul Sword, um, I, whereas I liked the Warlock page because it kind of added that new mystery, I thought the Soul Sword page really left out a whole lot of the history with the sword itself. Like with uh, a lot of the other swords we had previous users, like it, with the Soul Sword, they were like, eh, other people have used it. So like, they're like, oh, discounting like, you know, Kate having it, Amanda, Margali, all of those guys. So I just maybe it's not important to the narrative. But like to me, I'm like, oh, my God, the Soul Sword. I wouldn't like know everything about it. So and not to bring up a sore point, but if we're going to talk Soul Sword, shouldn't we also talk Soul Dagger and Pixie? Ah, uh, I thought the same thing. Where the hell is Pixie? Pixie? This would be right up Pixie's alley. Even if she isn't one of the sword bearers, she absolutely would be somebody great on a Hellion style mission in this instance. Yeah, absolutely. When Cyclops and Rihanna interact and they get into their captain, captain stick, it's so cute. And there's just such respect. And I think one of the things that I love about it the most is that that's an era like, okay, so Scott and Ileana, sure, they've got a relationship and they spent a lot of recent years together, but Scott really missed a lot of the Ileana of Ileana. He missed most of that new mutants era. And then, you know, he was a little busy when she first came back and she was going off doing her own thing. I feel like Scott has a respect for Ileana like you grew up without me around to help and man you came out just about as well as one of us can there's a respect to it that I really it's very doctor 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 there's something I like that <laughs> yes. I agree yeah, it's love a it. really, yeah it's a lovely respect I, I love their code too like the you know, we could always make it rain kind of thing. I'm like, ooh, what does that mean? We never, we didn't really touch about the other areas that they revealed of Otherworld. I think the one I would be most excited to go to is the Hot Hive. Ooh. Yeah. Hot, which I actually read as Ho Thive the first time. And I'm like, <laughs> Ho Thive? What the fuck is the Ho Thive? Oh. 
No, Ho Thrive. Hoes yeah. be thriving. Hoes are Ho's thriving on Kokoa. Well, actually, not really, because over there, apparently, it was taken over by this very toxic, you know, queen who was like, uh, no, 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 no. This is how we're going to actually do it. And yeah, that's just the one I just be most interested in. I think I'm still entertained by these pages and I will be very upset if we don't at least visit one of them. Oh, yeah. You can't give us all of these beautiful different areas and then, you know, blue ball us. (laughs) I want to see the insect land. Come on. I feel like the hut hype is going to be very brood-like. That made me think of Brew and where Ooh. he is. Because he got a page in that Ohatmu. He got a page in the Zaso Hot. So yep. he's got to play some kind of role. That's why he's on my mind, yeah. It put me in the right mindset to be thinking about other characters that maybe we haven't seen on the page so directly. I mean, I don't know how we could have thought they were going to get away without doing Moira. They, they had to do Moira. But that put Moira back in our minds like that one panel of X Factor did. I mean, Moira's always got to be in our minds somewhere with this because this is all her big, giant master plan. So even if we don't see her, her, her hands are in everything. So Yeah, but we've gone through the whole Dawn of X just, you know, gleefully. Uh, accepting of the fact that she's underground in the no place. This is Josh Whale. I'm here in the West Coast room with Raven and Rod, and we're going to be talking about X of Swords, Chapter 7, 8, and 9 today. We're going to start off with Chapter 7, New Mutants, number 13, written by Ed Brisson, art by Rod Reyes, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. In this issue, it's time for Douglas Ramsey to learn how to fight, and that's basically it. So, mm-hmm. to introduce you to who's with me here in the West Coast room, let's start with Miss Raven. Introduce yourself. Tell us where we can find you. Hello. I'm Raven, or Dave. Red Bento, and you can find me on uh, Twitch, Twitter, uh, Instagram, pretty much all over the web, um, just by typing in Dame Red Bento. So go ahead, come find me. I'm a Jill of all trades, giant nerd, love to do a bunch of different things, and I'm streamlining all of that so I can provide like clear and cool and concise content. Cool. And how about you, Rod? All right, I'm Rod. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hawksrod, that's H A U X. R-O-D. I post a lot of nerd shit and political things and just going crazy with selfies. So, I mean, just come in to my space and have a good time with me. <laughs> All right. And so, Rod, while I got you here, start me off with X of Swords, Chapter 7, New Mutants, Number 13. What did you think of this issue? Oh, I mean, I absolutely loved this issue. I, I mean, one of my favorite X-Men characters, or maybe Marvel characters in general, is Magic. So to have her basically co-star in the whole issue was a gift to me. Like, that's what I've been wanting <laughs> in this whole Dawn of X thing. I wanted more Magic. And we, I feel like in this issue, yeah, we get a lot of Doug, and he's great. Um, I've never <laughs> been a huge fan, but I know people love him um he has good character development as he shows how he can be brave but i love how magic can show are they are how they show magic as being more confident in her in teaching and being more understanding of people's emotions because you know she's always had trouble with that and i feel like they're really bringing her up to be more with this issue like they're really showing like she can be tough but also understanding and even with one of the weakest members of the team like physically which is doug Mm -hmm we're a year through the Dawn of X, Magic really is the central character of this book. I mean, Ileana has stood out, if for no other reason than she was a lead player in the Hickman issues, and she's been a lead player in most of the Brisson issues as well. So she's been that kind of through character. She's one of the captains. She uh, has a big role to play in the first crossover. And, you know, we've seen, she's probably had more page time than any of the other, uh, you know, listed 
unlimited leads on this book, which has vacillated wildly over 13 issues. Raven, what did you think? What were your thoughts on New Mutants number 13? I absolutely loved it. The art style, the the way they actually told the story was just beautifully done. And it was really great that they gave both Doug and Warlock and Magic a good amount of page time because A, Magic, also one of my favorite, you know, characters ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like like Doug and Warlock are, yeah, physically not so great. So how they got picked as champions, you know, of course is a little bit mind-boggling to some people. But yeah, you get to see that Ileana really does take on the role of of teacher, but she's not just trying to teach Doug she's also testing him and you could see like the gears turning in her head like okay how do we get him out of this because she is honestly worried for his his safety his well-being and she knows that he is wildly outmatched as far as fighting skills go so this tournament could be very very bad for him and that was interesting they seeded that all throughout the book with multiple characters they had mondo coming through they had exodus coming through they had krako himself talking a lot of Mm -hmm. uh different characters kind of giving the idea of someone has to stand in for you like Mm -hmm. someone else that has to either meet the criteria of the prophecy or is going to shapeshift or pretend to be you but like it can't be duck and uh, i have in my notes iliana is a stone cold bitch and i love her (laughs) because like Mm -hmm. she flat out tells them like if you step in that ring you're not coming out like it's it's not gonna work and they've done some really good things with the kind of teasing in terms of what we think's gonna happen and playing off our expectations like when we look at this list we know Doug can't fight like that's Mm -hmm. been you know the source (laughs) of Doug's shame and a running thing since 1984 basically yeah like that's Doug can't fight and Doug's going to have to fight. So, you know, first up, we, you know, the first idea is kind of, well, he's probably going to be one of them that dies. And then we start seeing more with Red Root. And now we have, you know, we start seeing previews of, you know, that Doug's going to fall in love during the tournament. And, you know, we see that both of the voices of Krakoa and Arako are being forced into this for some specific reason. Like, there's a lot of other stuff going on around him that the fact that he can't fight is still making it interesting. And mm-hmm. I also try to remember, too, that Doug might have have the most powerful sword of any sword in this tournament i mean warlock if warlock you know takes the safety off warlock can just transmode virus and you know consume basically any organic being's life glow Um, like warlock doesn't even need doug doug can just stand there and hold warlock (laughs) and warlock can shape shift and move around the arena and do his thing if you know you let warlock off the chain so yeah my my thing would be like, what if what effect does Otherworld have on Warlock though? Have we ever yes. seen him in Otherworld? Like what what effect does magic have on him? Now we've seen Warlock in limbo and it yeah. doesn't um it doesn't affect him. Um in fact Magus had taken control of limbo a little bit back in the original New Mutant series, like issues like forty seven through fifty ish. Yeah. Um like we've seen him there. He's had no problem there. I don't know about Otherworld. Otherworld isn't limbo. Yeah. I can't remember specifically if I've ever seen Warlock or any sort of other phalanx in there. 
And I also have in my notes too that what we know about the phalanx, remember that we know that our knowledge is faulty. Like we learned in Powers of Ten that Hickman is kind of retconning, rewriting what the phalanx is. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in terms of that dynamic of Warlock, there are definitely like secrets that could be revealed. Yeah. And and see, that's, that's, that's what I was like worried about is like, yes, Warlock is insanely powerful. He can adapt and evolve very very quickly he can you know consume and and reorganize pretty much anything that he comes in contact with but being technologically and evolutionarily advanced is one thing pure raw magic and people who have wielded this magic since i don't know pretty much since they were born and thousands of years to hone their skills i mean doug is still really in a lot of danger even with warlock attached to him him because we don't know the full extent of the powers that you know oh. the other side has so who oh, knows yeah. if... going against essentially yeah. a master assassin who's been trained for a thousand years and he got yeah. you know the free self-defense seminar at the ymca last thursday yes, yes that's exactly <laughs> basically i mean I, I but i also feel like i don't know i feel like they're doing the thing that they do in a lot of movies where they're like trying to fake you out and they're like oh you know this character's weak blah blah they're gonna die but then they survive the whole movie so i'm like mm. that's what they're doing with doug because they're like they're hitting us over the head with yeah. <laughs> um he's weak he can't fight he's gonna die even magic is like you're not gonna make it it's like wow just being very blatant with it like they're not beating around the bush at all so i'm like well maybe he doesn't die and maybe they probably kill someone we don't want to die which i'm very i'm very scared of so <laughs> mm. yeah i don't see any way that um fewer than four x-men die here i know yeah like it's not gonna be like a 10-0 sweep for Krakoa. Like, unless mm-hmm. unless we're all surprised and Sinister does steal the swords in the next issue of Hellions, like, <laughs> I, don't... I don't think that's gonna happen, but, you know... I feel you like if Krakoa wins, it's, like, 5-5-6-4. Five, five, like, they win mm-hmm. off some tiebreaker, or it's, you know, like, there's still gonna be some dead mutants. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's what I'm thinking, because, you know, they only have nine people, and the other mm-hmm. team has ten people, technically. So I'm oh, like, yeah. how does that work? I'm wondering about that. Yeah, I don't know how that works. So. Like, um, okay, so let's say Gorgon fights twice. Let's just say. What yeah, happens he if he two... loses the first fight? Does that count as two losses? Like, there's right? so many questions about... Like, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Saturnine's kind of... Oh, I don't trust her as far as I can throw her. Oh, no, yeah, you couldn't, you shouldn't trust her at all. I mean, she's <laughs> yeah. she's in it only for herself, obviously. Mm-hmm. She's, I mean, and I kind of give her that because she's been through a lot of trauma. She's kind of had to hold this whole world together. Um, So I kind of give her the selfishness a little bit. I mean, she could be a little kinder to the mutants. Uh, I mean, she was like this before the trauma. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm like, mm, she, no. she was like this back in the OG Excalibur run. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Not much changed but i was trying to give her a benefit of the doubt but it didn't work (laughs) Uh, honestly i'm worried um that magic might be one of the ones that they kill only because she is so protective of doug and i'm worried that that's going to be a distraction to her because she's going to be oh god he's going to die he's going to die he's going to die and so she's going to be constantly trying to cover him or or you know protect him instead of focusing on her task at hand
hand and then, you know, ends up just letting her her mental concentration slip. And all it takes is like one split second. Now, some of that depends, too, on how the format of this is. I didn't imagine True. them all fighting at once. I guess that's. Oh, I saw like, it as pairs. Like one at a time. Mm. I, I, I saw it as maybe one at a time, but or, or maybe in like small teams or pairs just to make it interesting, as it were. They um, really haven't been clear yeah. about it yet. So, no, that, yeah, I don't know anything really. <laughs> Like, it's all up in the air. I would, I mean, I'm thinking, unfortunately, I'm thinking that, like, um, Magic's probably going to die. I know Betsy is. Oh, I'm Betsy, gonna... I have already written Betsy. off. I don't. Betsy's gone. <laughs> <laughs> there's and... so much potential for Iska. There's no way Betsy kills Iska. Like, no. I feel that Iska is needed long run moving forward here. And that just, like, yeah, but sorry, Betsy. Mm. I know. And, I, and I honestly, I feel like maybe that might help Betsy. Because, you know, she's going through a lot still. And maybe being reborn, fused with, like, a different form of herself or whatever. Because she's been through other worlds. So her soul might mm-hmm. still be intact a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that might help her. You know, that might help her move on it might help her find a different version of herself and be a new you know yeah like that's probably what teeny howard is probably thinking um and unfortunately i think storm might die too and i don't want that to happen at all (laughs) well i i think if she dies i think it's going to be one of those spectacular deaths where she takes down her opponent first and then succumbs to like the backlash Mm, yeah because she is fighting death so maybe yeah well not only she's fighting death she's fighting death with uh what was it skybreaker which yeah. i mean you know yeah that is not only is it like sort of magically imbued it is like one of the most powerful uh channeling or or conducting metals that you can come across so that might be even a bit too much for her to be able to redirect all the power that that thing can bring in and put right back out so that's true that's yeah. yeah yeah i have in terms of magic i'm not magic is at the top of my list in terms of confidence that like she's gonna win mm-hmm. which is the only thing that makes me nervous that like then i'm gonna be surprised or upset she loses right yeah, she is one of the only um, people i could see like when i when this competition first started i was like she well she's not gonna lose because it's no. and i see her against poggy pog and i'm like no no like that one that's as that's as confident as you know um you know someone against Doug or like I have Doug and Betsy real low I have Ileana real high yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I definitely agree with that pairing so far yeah and it's it's like yeah Betsy wants it she wants this so bad but you can already see that she has so much internal conflict that she's not like super focused on what is directly in front of her she is she's handling a lot of her own internal can I swear bullshit? Yeah, <laughs> she's swear. she's handling her own internal, you know, miasma, and yeah, I just I don't see her being at the top of her game. Although no, I mean, Brian beat her. In she the has. Hour, so. <laughs> yeah. That is well, a yeah, sword. yeah. <laughs> Yes, it is. But yeah, yeah, yeah. In my opinion, what made this issue great, as any issue, is the art by Rod Reyes. Rod Mm. Reyes's art has been taking these new mutant issues to another level. Mm. He's doing everything on here. He is, you know, because of the way he paints them, he is the you know artist, colorer, everything, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Um, I could look at this book all day. My only art concern was, or, or criticism wise isn't even a Reyes cut it's more about technical with the way that the editors 
covers or uh, people handled it. And I hate the way that they cut and placed the cover. Because when you look at the cover on the floppy, you can see that like this wasn't the full image. Like they cut a portion of an image and like placed it to be the cover. But there's all these electric lines kind of coming over from the left. And they look like cuts and tears along the spine of the book. And it drives me crazy every time I look at it. Like I have to go touch them and make sure that they're actually in the art and not like that I've torn my book. <laughs> but that is yeah, my yeah. only criticism of like any of the art on here because every time Rod Reyes has been on this New Mutants book, it has been stunning. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way they um, interpret Kokoa, like the face mm. and everything. It's really beautiful. Yeah. The, oh my God, the art was absolutely stunning. I love how it's both. Like it feels gently rough, but like purposefully so. Yeah. And and yet like there's just there's so much beautiful like movement and you could just you could feel everything and it's the color story and the way um the way some of the art is done that really just gets across to you what you should be feeling and, and kind of what's going on. It is so, so beautifully done. And I say that as a person who loves to do watercolor. It just oh it felt just so gorgeous and yeah i could just yeah i could literally just look at it all day long <laughs> yeah the the use of the water coloring on here along with the heavy contrast he does for with the heavy inks for during mm-hmm. the um the fight scenes and the way he does warlock he has a great sinkevich styled warlock that has really really heavy black inks on it that mm-hmm. contrasts with the watercolors around it to also give it that otherworldly out of place feel like you said the color story every scene has different just emotional tones in the background scenes with you know of anger with reds and purples scenes of despair with blues and greens um the whole thing is yeah just i I think i said stunning earlier and it's it's cannot be more effusive about it it is a stunning book yeah it absolutely is absolutely 100 percent agree we had three data pages in this book two of them I think are pretty much recap stuff because the two out of out of the ten swords that the Krakoan sword bearers have, two of them that we know the most about are Ileana Soul Sword and Warlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we have decades, decades of content on both of them. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. The third page, and I think interesting thing about these two books we're covering today, New Mutants and Cable, the the two realms of Otherworld that we're covering are the realms that are neighbors to Avalon, which is our entrance into Otherworld from Krakoan. Koa and the realm that the Braddocks are uh, controlling, mm-hmm. the realms that the mutants have essentially taken control of. Mm-hmm. So one of the neighbors and the one we get covered here was Hot Hive. Hot Hive was the hive mind colony um, in one of the spots next to Avalon with a kind of Borg-like um, insectoid creature uh, ruling it. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on Hot Hive or uh, what we might see with that knowing it's a neighbor of Avalon in the future? Uh, can you say in Asian force. <laughs> I mean, they're they're all con- they're all controlled by you know a parasitic infection, and you've got a million sister queens who are <laughs> all of one mind with a very clear directive. Oh yeah, I can absolutely see them invading 
when, you know, reality gets shuffled or if there's a weakness in one of the walls, I'm just, <laughs> yeah, that's that might be something that they're coming back to or that kind of spills in during the tournament. Oh, yeah. I think with all these data pages, with all the um, subsections of Otherworld, I feel like we're going to get like an Otherworld war like after this. Mm-hmm. And like with Betsy being reborn, I feel like Saturnine, yeah, I think she's going to actually bet, like ask for her help in like trying to calm this war down because if you notice the pattern in all these like subsections they're all kind of they're all really hostile mm-hmm. <laughs> they're all like <laughs> they all want their own thing they're all kind of like being kept just at bay from crossing over and causing mayhem so it's just a matter of time before it all just goes to chaos right and in other issues we have started to see their councils right we've seen their kind of local parliamentary government their councils the interactions there um they're definitely building a huge new world and playground for these characters to come in and interact with. To talk about Excalibur as the mutant magic book, I could very, very easily see it becoming the other world book um, mm-hmm. post X of Swords. But yeah, I mean, like the ideas of, you know, a, a hive of sister queens, now that we know that the defender of Avalon is Brian Braddock, Brian mm-hmm. against a hive of sister queens protecting Jamie, like there is some potential there moving forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Not only was it, yeah, beautiful storytelling, but also beautiful artwork. And I honestly can't wait to read more. <laughs> I love it. Yes, I, I, I want to say that this was Ed Brisson's last issue on the title, I think. Mm-hmm. Which, don't worry, because Vita's taking over. Yay! Yeah, I'm so happy for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed Brisson's issues have been somewhat mixed. One mm-hmm. of the things that I would say about this, kind of similar to his other ones, is that there was not a lot of story. Like, when I went to recap summarize it before we started the story is basically time for Doug to learn how to fight Mm -hmm. like (laughs) there wasn't a lot of depth layer stuff going around you know he had interactions with different people you know we saw you know him go from interacting with Ileana to Kokoa and back to Ileana and Exodus and Mondo and like Warlock but there there wasn't it was just kind of like Doug facing this which it's okay to have like simple or or you know soul focused issues Mm -hmm. but I feel like he's had a lot of them in New Mutants like I feel like there's a, a lot of the Ed Brisson issues that don't need lengthy recaps um, yeah i mean i could agree with that well i, think I am were, very I much think were, looking forward to vita yeah well i think they were doing something that was important in the moment yeah. and since they're already where they need to be in order to place the sword i don't think they needed to progress the the storyline particularly forward but yeah I, I get what you're saying and i can agree with that so we're going to talk about new mutants issue 13 writer ed burson artist rod reese Letterer VC Travis Lanham with editor Annalise Bisa. Yeah. <laughs> so this was a pretty Doug heavy issue. What did you guys think about that? Warlock is back. Warlock is back. Warlock is back. Warlock is back. Finally. <laughs> have I have I have I covered the fact that Warlock is back? Warlock um, is back. Hooray. Um, I heard Warlock might be back. Warlock Warlock is in fact back. Um, self friend and, and I think self friend self friend has returned 
and uh, I can't even talk like Warlock. But I think <laughs> I think what really did it for me about this issue was the dynamic between Doug and Ileana. Uh, that was everything in this issue. And sure, there was there was a lot of great. There was um, Mondo returning as voice of Akoa again. There were some really great data dumps. There was uh, a healthy amount of Exodus for some reason. Uh, but really, at the core of it, it was Doug and Ileana, the evuncular mentorship that really solidified this issue for me. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely adored how Yana just immediately started training Doug. Like, we only got a limited amount of time. You are obviously in danger. Let's try to make you survive as long as we can. And she does it with a heavy hand, but you can tell that she really does care about him. Yeah, I agree. Because the way she does it, it's coming from a very, on one hand, she is nervous about the outcome for him. But with her, you know, starting the fight and preparing him, it's her way of showing, like, I, I kind of see it as, like, a big sister type of thing, where kind of like an older sibling showing a younger sibling kind of like how to ride a bike. A lot of it is you have to fail in order to succeed. Yeah. So she's, she's trying to get him to understand how to fail in order to learn how to succeed in the future. You know, I just, I find it so haunting the last thing that Ileana says to Doug after what is one hell of a training montage. Uh, you know, we're family, Doug, we always have been, so believe me when I tell you, if you raise a sword to fight someone on Otherworld, it'll be the last thing you ever do, and there's not a damn thing you can do to stop it. After watching their relationship, like, blossom over the course of this issue was devastating. It really was. It there seemed like a small speck of hope when Doug kind of talks about how he's starting to understand the language of fighting. And I felt that that was just a ray of hope, like uh, something could possibly go right. Maybe he'll at least give it a good effort than to just have Yana just say, no, you need to stick close to me because you're not going to survive this. It's, it's definitely very worrying. I would love to see, I would love to see Doug and Warlock form Doug Lock in some capacity. I know Warlock has to be the sword, but I feel like that's so impractical for a fight like this. Yeah, yeah. Especially with all the times it recently that we've seen him, when we've seen them merge. Uh, yeah, I. it doesn't make sense that Warlock would only take sword form during the fight. Hmm. Do you think that there's a chance that he would won't just stay in sword form? I mean, depending on the challenge, because some of them might have different challenges, right? If I'm not mistaken, like based on the fights. I honestly don't know. We we don't really know what the rules of the of the contest are going to be. I believe. Yeah, because um, depending on like if each fight has like different rules, we could see that with their fight. Well, just speaking of rules, there's a lot of speculation about rule breaking in this issue where Charles seems to have some sort of faith in Sinister, is at least how that's came across to me, where they seem to be actually hopeful that Sinister's plan would work. And what did you guys think about that kind of addition to uh, Hellions, which was absolutely fantastic and so much fun that we talked about earlier, 
but the faith that Charles seems to have and the other council members are actually taking it as a serious mission. What did you guys think about that? You know, I honestly didn't realize that that was that that happened concurrently with this issue. I just I just saw you know? a sinister walking away. <laughs> I'm worried that they're putting too many eggs in a, in the basket here. I have a feeling that this plan to steal the swords isn't going to work out as they anticipated and it's going to make things worse for, I mean, Doug, at least. Speaking of rules again, Krakoa is very nervous about letting Doug go. He's very worried for his safety, but it comes off very selfishly where he's upset that he won't have an actual translator, someone who can truly get his message out to the council. What did you guys think about that? You know, I was wondering lately on other characters that could potentially communicate to Kakoa. Because I was thinking about Deer Girl and how she's able to talk to plant life and how she could put, I mean, I'm not sure if it's a completely different language then. Like, maybe she just still wouldn't be able to really get that far. Well, I know, but, I know that we know for a fact that Black Tom Cassidy can commune with the island as well as Mondo, albeit it's not a dialogue since they're not understood um, it's more that he is, they are a conduit for the island to speak for itself. That's true. I believe that in Mondo's case, he pretty much loses all awareness when he becomes possessed. So it wouldn't be an effective method, but I guess it, it would work if Krakoa needed to talk to somebody else. You know, I, I feel like... A lot of this discussion about whether Doug will or won't survive can be surmised by looking back to the pages of Powers of X. We see that the last incarnation of the Horseman of Apocalypse features a Krakoa and Doug hybrid. Mm. So I think unless unless that's to say that Doug is wounded and cannot be revived to his normal form and Krakoa merges with him to save him, uh, I, I would imagine that Doug is going to come out of this okay, in spite of Ileana's warning. I certainly hope so. I mean, we... We keep saying that he's he's secretly this evil character, but I don't know. The more we see of him, the less I feel that. He just feels like a person who is stuck dealing with all of these uh, new experiences and he's he just doesn't feel up for up for them. Yeah, I would say historically on this podcast, we've given Doug a lot of crap, but especially in these this issue. He says he wants to be more than just the translator. He wants to be seen as something more. How do you guys feel about seeing this new side of him where he has these other ambitions and goals that are different to what we've seen of him before? Well, I mean, last time he, or the first time he he died was because he didn't want to be known as just the translator and decided to go out on a field mission with the new mutants So and ended up being shot. So... Oh, that is true. I forgot about that. Maybe he needs to revisit those ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hopefully history doesn't repeat itself. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, I did like, at the end, Ileana was giving him one final test. He finally realized that fighting was just another language and that he could translate it. Yes, I definitely enjoyed that too. That's why it gave me this like tiny bit of optimism that maybe he'll be okay, but we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Cuz Doug was he was chosen. He was chosen as a champion for whatever reason. So theoretically, there's got to be something that he can bring to the field besides Warlock. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the quality of the art and how this would you call this watercolor style i mean i i would i won't have anyone tell yeah. me i can you know <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's even though everything's kind of blurred in the style you're able to tell emotion you're able to tell all different kinds of action through it and also i just love the way that warlock looks in it it, it reminds me a lot of sinkevich yeah that's something that i had stated a couple issues back that that i felt like there is a lot of parallel to sinkevich's time on the book um in in a lot of the styling of the action sequences specifically. Not trying to be like, I got there first. And 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 I and I could be I could be remembering incorrectly. It could have been you who said it. So No, I think Who am I to judge? Who no, who am I to judge? Doing a best moments of real quick on Cable 5 by Jerry Dugan and Phil Noto. I kind of felt like this issue should have been part of the first and second issue. I understand why it had to come later, but you know, other than the Happy Summer's handholding, as much as I enjoy Cable, I don't know that this had to be a full installment of X of Source. Yeah, the the pacing on this is very strange for me. Um, and there's something else about it that's very like Swiss Family, but you know, like like Gene calling Cable son explicitly just seems a little weird. I don't know. Reading this makes me feel like Xavier is definitely still messing with everyone's mind. It's <laughs> very you know Norman Rockwellian uh, little family outing, slim and red, and and when they raised him in the future and all that. Like there's plenty of his there it's not like it's come out of nowhere them being parents but it's just a little off for me and yeah it, this was a strange chapter in the ton of sword story arc and i completely agree with you because even though i'm getting what i want them as a family that thing on like and i'm calling it that thing but like you know that exchange on page four you don't feel are you feeling anything no i was asking the telepath in the family i'm a telepath you don't practice enough boys please like there's something about it that it's just not quite right yeah yeah in the larger story narrative where all of the almost all of the other issues have been about the story of the sword and its sword wielder kind of dealing with what that means to them this just kind of felt out of place because it was more of the you know gray summers family household which i want to see more of but i want to see it better i think maybe some of the only parentage we really get that i i know of and please correct me if i'm wrong is the fantastic four and i want to see other parents and i want to see other dynamics it was strange. I kind of enjoyed the face horror of it. You know, it feels like space madness. It was a very weird beat. Uh, yeah, like you said, it really did sound like, it really felt like 
the the reboot of uh, Lost in Space on Netflix. I'm like, these aliens are so those robot aliens that are in that. And like Cable kind of seems like the oldest kid in the show. So I'm like, it's exactly like that. Nice yeah. little like prequel would have been a nice little prequel to Tennis Swords Cable issue or sword. Yeah, that should. Yeah. OK, I would have loved it in the run up to Destruction. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is this was more about setting up the new sword story than it was about advancing front of swords. Oh, 100 percent. Like a thousand percent agree with you on it it did also i did like to see the same like as a new mutants it did have some cute uh scott and iliana moments where he's basically like uh wait why are you trying to tell me what to do i'm like the great captain so and she's like i'm the great captain now you know Ileana <laughs> would absolutely fight for it i yeah. still this is a deep cut and it's just slightly off topic i want to know what iliana did to get disqualified back to cable number one yeah oh my god what did she do <laughs> Probably teleported out of the arena. <laughs> dragged dragged her opponent into limbo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did love the art in the issue though. It's it's I still I still love the art by oh my gosh, what's the artist's name? Phil Noto. Phil Noto Phil always Noto. does a killer Phil Noto book. Yeah, Phil Noto did a great job. I agree with that. Like Phil Noto is one of those guys who like he just starts at love and turns it up to eleven. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a Phil Noto book always looks like a Phil Noto book and it's always beautiful. I, I also loved uh, the little little moment towards the end of the book where Marvel Girl asks Ileana to keep an eye on Nathan, and it just reinforces Ileana's role as kind of a big sister to a couple of the people. When you said that, I was like, Marvel Girl, I was like, it's so jarring still to hear her called Marvel Girl. But like, is Marvel Woman even better? <laughs> Probably not. Really but she's not. like, gotta be like mid-30s, so she's going around as a mid-30-year-old like, hey, I'm Marvel Girl, how's it going, guys? Monet tells Telling, telling Jean, try harder, Marvel Girl, kind of like really made me fall in love with the code name all over again. That was a great moment, though. I love that moment where she's like, try harder, Marvel Girl. The S stands for hope, the bat stands for a bat, and Marvel Girl stands for female independence everywhere. <laughs> All right. X of Swords, Chapter 8, Cable Number 5. Mm-hmm. Written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Phil Noto, letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Cable and his mom and dad explore the abandoned sword station before heading back to join the Krakoan swordsmen. Now, on the station, and we had known that, you know, there was a big issue on the station. Uh, it had essentially been wiped out. They accidentally awakened the uh, virus called the Scora. In my opinion, I felt like Jerry was really table setting for Al Ewing here. I felt that uh, the Vascora story is something that we're going to see. I would bet we see more of it in the upcoming sword book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love, I, I am a sucker, and I've said this before, for any time we get Cyclops and family, anytime we get <laughs> Summer's family outings, like I am, you, you can just take all my money. Like that's, that's it for me. So um, that gave me everything I needed from this book. Talking about Rod Reyes art on the last one, I love Phil Noto's art. I'm a big fan of Phil Noto. And I also think that, you know, if we're going to have Jean in the Marvel Girl outfit, you might as well let Phil Noto draw her because his style matches that outfit the feel of it so well um the way that she's drawn here like it's just it's perfect for this style um i I love it so much raven what are your thoughts on cable number five uh i love cable and i love marvel girl i hate cyclops (laughs) (laughs) i always have it's something that stems from way back 
But yeah, like he's a little bit softer. He's a little bit easier to digest now. They they don't make him quite so dickish. But yeah, it it really felt like Cable and his mom and dad, and it felt like they kept treating him like a child, <laughs> just like uh, he's been elected to to bring a sword to an all out death match rumble. Can you try and give him about two ounces more credit that he can <laughs> actually pull this off and quit trying to go? No, young man, we're gonna send you to your room and one. Like, dude, right. dude. But well, that, I, that's been overall, some of the fun it, of this new dynamic since X Men One. If you read the first Hickman Lionel U issue, uh, X Men One, there's a great scene in it where the Star Jammers are there, and um, I think it's Raza. Cable trades his big gun for this sword that Raza found while the Star Jammers are out on a mission, and he's basically like yelling across the house, like, "Mom, can I have a sword?" <laughs> that was great. I did love that. I love what they're like doing with this family dynamic. Mm-hmm. I, like I just and I'm I know Cable is gonna be on like the new sword um series. So I'm glad they're like setting that up for him to be like, hey, you know, I'm the one that helped discover this with my family and now I'm gonna be on a team because of it. So I, yeah. I'm glad they did that. And I'm glad they show like how they split up. Um Jean goes by herself and then she's like, Okay, Cable, go with your dad, go protect your dad. I'm okay. Like, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm an omega level mutant. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Go protect your little dad with his little lazy eyes. <laughs> Yes. I, I really enjoyed that. So. Yeah, that, there, there yeah. were some good things in here. Cable, um, you know, we we're talking about looking ahead to X of Swords and how people fare in the tournament. I felt pretty good about Cable um, up until the end of this issue. You know, when they did get back to Krakoa and uh, Cable was in line there and Cyclops told him, I'd wish you luck, son, but you don't need it. Was really oh. the first time that I had any sort of dread about Cable's outcome in this tournament. Right. Like, damn it, Scott, what are you doing? I mean, we know the other Cable is still around, the older one, so. (laughs) Well, like, we've never had Paradox in the MC universe before. Right. I don't know what, I guess we're going to get updates on that after X of Swords, because we haven't in a while, so I don't know. Cable is one of the characters most primed for us to see come back with different AU version. Mm -hmm. Like, because we've been exposed to so many already that, like, maybe we'll actually know this other AU version that comes. Back, true, maybe. Well, yeah, like it. It was. It was definitely interesting to see this. To me, a new family dynamic because it's been a while since I've been in the in the X universe. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like Jean. Oh, don't worry, I'm off. I'm. I can take care of myself. I'll let you know. I'll just talk to you and you know let you know what's going on here. But yeah, go make sure your father doesn't like get smashed. It was (laughs) because that would be bad. But I didn't even think about it. I didn't think about Cable dying. But like, I don't know because would they bring him back if he died? Oh, and obviously, well, he's, he's, he's got more in... lives than a freaking cat. He is cat. definitely an X factor. No, they would bring him back. But what him would they bring back? Yeah, mm. exactly. Do they bring back Teen Cable? Do they bring back Old Man Cable? Do they bring back something in between? Like, you know, does Hope get her father back, or does Scott get a son back? Like, which version do we mm-hmm. see? Exactly. Mm. It's like if if um. If Rachel dies, like, do we bring her back? Yes? 
because she's from another universe but i'm assuming yes but we don't get that many different versions of her it's like like we would cable mm-hmm. so i don't know i don't know but yeah. obviously if he does die they're gonna bring him back because he's in sword so <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of these questions that i know are going to be covered in x factor like x factor has set up such fertile ground for storytelling um and i'm no, sure knowing that we're going to have deaths and x of swords those first x factor books when we come out of it are going to be dealing with some some good stuff mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely so data pages in this book we had technically three one of them was the rundown of the the computer log as uh Vescora took over the sword station and wiped everyone out the first time mm-hmm. uh the other two which were x of swords related uh had to deal with blight spoke the realm on the other side of avalon mm-hmm. which is a a poison realm another very hostile one like raven was saying although on second reading you know when i reread this this morning blight spoke much much more appealing to me because i had forgotten this is the realm with gia whitechapel who mm-hmm. we've now seen since cable number five she is the uh awesome red zoro lady who showed oh, yeah. up at one of the other world city council meetings mm-hmm. and very very excited to see her continue to appear in the future especially mm-hmm. and knowing that she's a neighbor to avalon most the second page was the recap of the light of galador which is cable sword which again was pretty much a recap because we got all that information about the light of galador in cable issues two through four yeah thoughts on the data pages rod oh i mean i was i was kind of uh whatever about the uh the bright place at first <laughs> and then we bright saw bright spoke yes and then we got uh you know the zoro lady and then i was like oh i actually did go back and look at it as well um like you did and i was like oh okay well then you know this place seems a little interesting it makes me really like the more we information we get on other world places the more i want like a book about them and just to, to explore each little like section and explore like the politics and the dynamics of each section with each other like i feel like that would be very very interesting read and very fun because they seemed really catty to each other when they were in their little meeting (laughs) so i would love to read like books of that if we ever get it yeah i i am looking forward to either excalibur becoming the other world book or there just being another other world book at some point down the line raven any thoughts on the data pages oh my god i oh blight spoke i was like wait they've got a sheriff oh I'm sorry, but any any place that is so freaking hostile and so terrifying that, like, you literally, you can't step foot in without just being utterly destroyed. But there is one group of people led by Sheriff Gia, the posse, is led by Sheriff Gia, that can get anywhere in there. I'm like, you've got to be, like, super badass in order to pull that off. So I desperately want to know more about Light Spoke and about Sheriff Gia and her posse, because... Oh, that that looks like it could take them in some really, really fabulous directions. And yeah, I would honestly love to read a a Blight Spoke Otherworld uh, storyline. I think that would be an awesome addition to this universe, honestly. Oh, definitely. I agree. It's probably my favorite cable issue. I I think it was definitely well done and it helped to uh, give us a little bit more background on what's going on. Uh, with these different other worlds so i think it's a great setup not only to start a new book line after ten of swords but also it was really good i think helping to develop what is probably going to be going on in these next couple of books so overall good yeah 
All right. Uh, last thing I'd like to say, there was one line uh, near the end that I really liked as well. I just kind of went back and emphasized we had just read a new mutants, but Cable comes out of the gate and he sees Doug standing there and he's like, hey, Doug, I didn't know you were a swordsman. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> oh. Oops, my bad. <laughs> See, they're not beating around the bush about it. They're like, he's going to die. <laughs> right? Hey, Duggan is good with that stuff. <laughs> he's going to die. Nope, survives to the end. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to X is for Podcast. I am Evelyn, also known as Comic Canary. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at comic underscore canary. Join with us today, we have... Hello, I'm Kyle. Uh, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-H-2. Hey guys, this is Maddie. You can find me over on Instagram at, at the basely covetous man. And hey everyone, I am Robbie, and you can find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter. Well, welcome everyone. So we're going to be starting off today by talking about Cable Issue 5 for the Ten of Swords run with writer Jerry Dugan artist Phil Noto, letterer VC Joe Sabino, and editor Jordan White. For me, it kind of, it felt weird. I, 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 that's the best way that I could put it. We have this space station and that a space station that's been abandoned and a invading force that's been blocked off. It felt very random to me. Like we have this, this invading force that gets pushed back and I'm not really sure why this was a thing. They were called the Vescora. You know, I think I think part of what feels so so new to me about this issue is the fact that there's already so many stakes that have been set for the event of Ten of Swords. And outside of those events, there are already so many sects of villainy that are currently running around. Xeno, Horticulture, the New Hellfire Club. There's already so many villains that are intersecting with the main X-Men titles that right now, I don't think the Vescora had a place in this story. I don't see how they factor into the greater good or evil of Ten of Swords as we move forward since we're already in Chapter 8. But that said, and given that we're recording this a day after Halloween, I do think the spooky sci-fi vibes were were right up my alley. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> I really enjoyed the, the spookiness, but I will agree, like, when you kind of look at, like, every other issue, it does, like, in Ten of Swords, it feels, like, out of place. And, yeah, with them um, introducing these enemies, it does make me wonder if that's their way of trying to set something up later down the line in Cable. You know, I, I wonder, I wonder, to your credit, where the Cable book is going on the whole and this is to assume that cable makes it out of ten of swords alive and intact which let's assume for argument's sake that he will we mm-hmm. opened with a three issue space tale about the knights of galador that was dissolved and diffused very quickly i don't quite know what the narrative of cable is going to be going forward i kind of love the idea that he just is jumping into these genres. It was a very space western face-off with the Knights of Galador. This is a very Prometheus alien style sci-fi mystery that I'm digging pretty heavily. And I wouldn't mind seeing, given the way that the book's original release was so stylized to be a theatrical movie poster, I would not be hurt 
to see this series continue in a roving, rotating genre fashion. That would be really cool, actually. I would say for me, it felt more like a cable story setting up a future story rather than a Ten of Swords story where they're just like, oh, yeah, we need to do Ten of Swords real fast. So we'll throw that in at the end. That cable needs to show up for that. It felt more that it was his story rather than the overall Ten of Swords story. But that being said, I agree. I love the spookiness aspect of it. And I'm curious to see where it's going to go. Well, seeing as we are getting sword as an aftermath of Ten of Swords, uh, having them explore this environment in order to explain what happened to it before and leading up to when Abigail Brand's team takes it over again. It, it does make sense that this is appearing here, I guess, but at the same time, it kind of feels like Cable's... Like you said, Cable is just setting up other stories. It's it's not really advancing his own story. Well, that does bring me to the question. How did you guys feel about seeing where S.W.O.R.D. has been with what's happening and where the future of S.W.O.R.D. might lie now that we see what has happened? You know, I never read a lot of Marvel Cosmic titles, so I was never very familiar with S.W.O.R.D. outside of knowing that it's an offshoot of S.H.I.E.L.D. But that said, I am I am very curious to see the future of S.W.O.R.D. if the future of S.W.O.R.D. looks like this. I do think that Phil Noto is doing, well. maybe not his career best work, some of his sharpest work when it comes to facial expressions in this issue. I think that this really told an emotionally succinct and impactful story for me, and I think that I would like to see this setting return to. And if we're going to introduce the Vescora, if we're going to go so far as to introduce them, then better that we actually give them a home. So maybe this is a threat that will be tackled in the upcoming Sword. One thing with Sword that I like is how they tend to handle a lot of situations with like beings that, you know, heroes on Earth tend to not really know the existence of. What I like about this is how it kind of shows that, you know, with the upcoming sword stuff, that would be really cool if we get to see like more enemies like this, like, I guess, like probably new aliens and things like that. And, uh, and plus, like, this is a really big, like, threat. So, um, that is true. I mean, they pretty much did want to completely wipe out this reality. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a very big threat. <laughs> and one thing that I really liked was um, in that little uh, data uh, for the transmission, how they kind of showed a minute by, well, I think it might have been, yeah, minute by minute of what was going on on the station. And it's, it's honestly, like, crazy how that whole thing was, like, wiped out within 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of wondering what exactly they did in order to push the Viscora out in order to mm -hmm. stop the this complete mass casualty event. Well, yeah. my question is, so the way that Cable manages to keep the Viscora out is that with Scott keeping them at bay and keeping them behind the threshold, Cable removes the power source that's powering Peak. And maybe it's just because it looks prettier and 
it adds to the mystery to have a completely abandoned spaceship suddenly become overrun. But where were the Viscora that remained? I can't imagine that this this operating deck of sh- uh, sword ages would be able to keep the Viscora at bay to power down long enough that there would be no remaining Viscora on board. That's a really good point. I didn't think about that. I mean, we all know Cyclops' optical blasts are like, whoa, you know? So what What could have matched that to keep the, the onslaught at bay? Especially since he went full full power with his blast. I really want to know how they, they put them back over the thresholds as they were shutting down the station. You know, and it feels like it feels like my last statement was very pro Scott. And let's be clear, I'm not explicitly a Scott stan. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a Cyclops stan by nature. But because even when, uh, come on now, even even when it's like I'm gonna go full power, it's like yeah, you are, you little sub. Okay, just do, <laughs> do 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 your best. Well, I mean, even even Scott has his uses sometimes. Oh. I'm Absolutely. Hey, he is a great tactical leader. I just, you know, something about the, oh, the cosmic power. Okay. All right. I've had enough. I tend to be in the same boat. I'm not the biggest Cyclops fan, honestly. <laughs> Though I'm coming around to him a little bit more in recent years. As this this Damn. role of father, you know, that kind of suits him very well. Like this, this begrudging, like second tier leader, you know, being the captain. Like, I think he's found, he's found his niche in the Dawn of X. Like, don't get me wrong. I think this is, this is the, the most palatable Scott Summers I've gotten in a long time. Yeah, definitely. He he definitely feels less um, robotic, I guess. He feels more human now that he actually has his family to take care of. And it's it's a welcome change to the way his character is portrayed in these pages. How do you guys feel right now about Cable, this young kid, actually having family dynamics with these parents that historically he never had? I really love it actually this is something that i think because you know it's something that was kind of always missing from cable i mean years back we saw like a little bit of it when he raised hope but you know now that we see an actual younger version of him being able to establish a connection with cyclops and gene it's honestly nice and even with rachel we're getting to see him establish a connection with her and then rachel has a more better connection because there was even like a good decade uh, when Rachel um, didn't even get to connect with Jean at all in the books. So this whole new um, family dynamic that they're setting up is is very refreshing because it's something that some of the summer kids like really missed out on. You know, I, I can't help but agree and I feel like a lot of what is setting up these family dynamics is the locale and the way that it is so conducive to a, to a, a healing environment environment. Think about what this incarnation of Cable has lived through and gone through. And if I found out tomorrow that there was an island that I could just live on and try and be my own age and run around with other weirdos like me and like get a time with my family that isn't under under constant pressure of death, I might 
wait, I might try and reward myself in the same way. And I have to say, it's it's really refreshing seeing him in this, as a teenager, you get some of his bravado, but you also get this feeling of unease, unsurety of, of what he's actually doing. And watching Gene and Scott support him as he makes his decisions it's a great way for cable to learn how he needs to react to these situations that he's being thrust into for sure i think that it's such a great way to see him just being able to have some family moments that he definitely missed out on in earlier incarnations and seeing them just being able to have like a fun rapport with each other and being able to joke uh, is fantastic. I have to say that I absolutely loved the color work as the Viscora were invading. The combination of the greens of the portal and Jean's psychic presence was a really beautiful combination. Oh, and that, that green of the Viscora against, like, the shockingly cool blue of the room. Oh, yeah. You know, before that, that power signature comes in, it's it really is all just dynamic as hell. Do we want to theorize real fast on what Jean saw? You know, I I imagine I imagine she saw just what happened the first time around. I can't I can't posit a guess as to what that is because I guess I have no imagination. Um, <laughs> but it, definitely not good. I I would love to have seen what happened to that one remaining guy specifically. Like, his eyes were so fucked up, and he had that face scar. Like, I wanted to see the process of leaving the last remaining member. Oh, yeah, that guy, he was, he was super creepy. I wonder if maybe he had been possessed or something, but he still had some control of his, of his body. I don't know. It's, it's... He's just super creepy. Yeah, I would love to see what actually happened to him. Because I'm really into that, like, creepy sci-fi kind of thing. So I want more. You know, I wonder if Jean might have saw them pushing them back through that portal. Because she does, now that I'm, like, going through it, she kind of, like, after she sees that, she immediately kind of goes straight to that room that they're at. That's a good thought, too. 